I don't know how long ago this was, probably like 13 years ago, our church was going through a little bit of a difficult time where we were three, four years into our existence back then as a church plant, and we realized we were running thin, we were burning out, we were burning each other out, we wanted to be so much, we thought we were bigger than we were, and that caused us to kind of like go in some growing pains or burnout pains, and we took a big break for about a month and helped people rest and restore. And I took a one or two day kind of retreat just by myself um, up north here, in, uh, just north of Montreal. And I remember those couple of days were really important for me because I just kind of stopped everything and um, tried to pay attention to what God was saying, what God was doing. And one of the ways that I did that outside of prayer and trying to be silent, uh, silent on my own was I immersed myself in Scripture. And I immersed myself in a couple of sections of Scripture, both Old and New Testament. And, and one of those Scriptures was the book of First Peter. And that really was uh, an incredible experience for me that I've had in, in the past before and since, but that day, like First Peter just came alive to me. There was just beautiful um, passages and phrases. In fact, there was out of that passage, out of that book, uh, I re really believe God began to shape my heart and just reorienting me to understand like what the local church is and what does it mean to be on mission in our culture in Montreal. And um, that overflowed into like six weeks of teaching that I didn't plan at the time. And even this phrase that some of you might be familiar with, where we say that we're God's living and local presence, that jumped out at us from that text. And it's just an example to me at how the Bible can play such a huge role in our lives. And maybe, maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've had a moment where the Bible's just kind of like come alive to you, or where you've taken enough time with the scriptures or been quiet with it, and a shift happened in your understanding of God, or the fullness of who Jesus is, or what your life is meant to be about. Just some clarity around that. N.T. Wright says these words, and I think they're helpful for us this morning. He says, the scripture is the means by which the living God directs and strengthens his people in and for God's mission. Somehow God uses the scriptures to direct us, to lead us, to guide us for life, for purpose. And that's really the beauty of reading the Bible for yourself. That's the beauty of really immersing yourself in the scriptures. And we've been in this series for six weeks now. It's coming to an end today, I promise, for people that have like no way near a six-week attention span, we're coming to the end of the series. But um, today what I want to do is help us go kind of one step further in, in reading the Bible for ourselves. Last week we talked about reading the Bible in community, with community, within the tradition of, of, of the church, the living tradition of faith for centuries. And um, this week we're going to flip that, and I'm going to remind us of this quote we read last week from Scott McKnight. He said, we're called to read the Bible for ourselves, but not entirely on our own. So last week we, we used one bookend, not entirely on our own, and this week we want to use the other bookend in what it means to read the Bible for ourselves. And I'm, gonna, I'm calling this message today something a little different. I'm calling it the Bible diet. Now, I'll explain it later. And if you freak out over diets, don't worry, we'll, we'll explain this a little bit later. But let me start off with Psalm 1, because I think Psalm 1 helps us out a bit. So Psalm 1, verse 1, here's a few verses here in this psalm, says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And who meditates on his law day and night. 
That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever they do prospers. Think about that for a second. Here's the opening book of 150 poems, songs, um, called the Psalms. And this, this book in our scriptures is like a prayer book. It's a prayer book for the, for the Jewish people within the Hebrew scriptures. And, and Jesus used it as a prayer book often as well. We can understand that from his own life. But it's amazing that this prayer book, this book of songs or poems, starts us off rooted actually in the idea of God's word and says something pretty extraordinary, describing a happy life or a blessed life or a life that flourishes. And not even just putting the scripture for aside for a second, most of us would say, I want a happy life. I want a blessed life. I want a life that flourishes. And one of the keys to this flourishing life that the writer describes is delight in the law of God. Now, the law sounds different than the scriptures, right? We kind of think the law is rules and regulation. And there are some laws, obviously, within the Old Testament scriptures. But the bigger idea of the word law in the scriptures is God's revealed word to us. Even when God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, he was giving him their heart, his heart, the, his revealed message for them. The Jews looked back to the first five books of the, of the Hebrew scriptures called the Torah or the Tanakh as God's law or God's revealed word to them because as they followed it, they discovered the life that he wanted for them or longed for them. So the psalm writer says, you want to grow in being flourishing or blessed or happy? Well, man, delight in God's law or God's word. But delight moves to something else, and it's meditation. That the one who delights in the word meditates on the word. So you dwell in something you delight, right? And you consume something you enjoy, or you spend uh, time with something you find pleasure in, right? Something you love, you just immerse yourself in. And here's the idea behind this, that if you and I want to experience God's life and God's purpose and his vision for your life, then he's offering us this source to drink from, this source to consume. And it's, it's his revealed message for us in Scripture. So delight moves to meditation, and delight and meditation moves to this beautiful result, which is flourishing. Something happens when we get rooted in God's revealed message for us. Something begins to change. Something begins to work in us. We begin to flourish. And the psalm writer says, just like a tree is planted by streams of water, is this person who delights in God's word and meditates on it or immerses themselves in it. And it happens just like streams, right? Streams to a tree is water and food and nourishment and life and growth. Now, I've loved this passage for so many reasons because it gives me a picture of the different streams that I should be considering in my life if I want to grow. But, and we talk about spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, and we can say that one of the streams is prayer or communi a community with the church, uh, worship, fasting, service. But the main stream that we're talking about here is the stream of Scripture, the practice of scripture, what this whole series has been called, because it leads to, the psalm writer says, fruitfulness. And it leads to faithfulness. This tree grows and becomes fruitful, 
And this tree, because it's planted by the streams, has the ability to be faithful. It doesn't wither. It doesn't die. It doesn't get um, destroyed because of a storm or wind or drought. There's something that happens. And so the tree is fruitful. The tree is faithful because it's connected to this source. And so throughout Israel's life, throughout the life of the church uh, later, there's this constant like pointing back to the scriptures, pointing back to God's revealed word. Because in it, initially through the law and the prophets, but then the climax, Jesus, he is the word, we discover life, we discover purpose. And there's a beautiful attraction, even within the nature of scripture, about scripture itself. Here's, here's a, an amazing passage, Psalm 19. I'm just going to read it uh, without explaining it. And listen to the, the words that show the attraction of scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, endearing forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. There's this attraction in God's word. But then there's this attention to the scriptures too. And here's three short phrases from Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Revelation. Here's the first one from Deuteronomy. Fix the words of mine on your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Psalm 119. I've hidden the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Revelation 10. uh, The angel speaking to John in this revelation that he's receiving he said, the angel asked him to give him the, the scroll, that little scroll. And he said to John, take it and eat it. It will turn in your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. So did you catch these, these, these metaphors? Fix, your, fix these words in your mind. Or hide these words in your heart. Or literally eat these words. It's like we're digesting them. Like meditating on God's word is like digesting them. And so it leads me to this idea of this Bible diet. Now like, I get it. uh, Diets are crazy things. I mean, you chat with friends and somebody's like into a carb diet. Someone's into a protein diet. Someone's into I eat only meat diet. Someone's into I never eat meat diet. Someone's into a little bit of sugar helps, but I eat a lot of fats. And someone's like no carbs and no sugars. And we're like, I have no idea what I should eat. But humans, I mean, we're always thinking about what we've got to eat. Like, I bet you right now, you're, you remember what you ate for breakfast and you're wondering, what am I going to eat at lunch? And do I have something in the fridge so I can prepare supper? Should we go take out? Should we go in, right? Like, we're always thinking about what we're going to eat because, well, we need food, right? And I think humans in general are always trying to figure out how can we also eat well? Like, should I be like, you know, have my veggies today, a little bit of protein? I'm I'm kind of like craving for chips when I watch that show later on. But let me kind of give you just a normal idea of dieting in our culture. They're, they're all right and wrong. Um, but one of the best things that Canada has done for us, we're Canadian, and is they've given us the Canadian Food Guide. And some of you have never even looked at that. I get it. Uh, we have someone in our church who has a background in nutrition, Amy Eason. She loves this stuff. She like, she'll just read up on it, you know. But... Um, some of you guys don't even know that, that a year ago, I think, they changed 
kind of the food guide a little bit. But the food guide's really cool because the food guide doesn't tell you, like, eat only protein or be, do a carb diet or a no-carb diet or fat or no fat. The food guide gives you all the food groups and says, here's a great way to proportion it. Here's a great way for a healthy life to eat different food groups in the right portions. All foods divided up in the right way. And that's kind of how I think of how we should read the Bible. This Bible diet. I don't have a book and I have no infomercial afterwards. You don't have to buy anything. But the Bible diet is kind of like that. Like looking at the whole Bible and saying, okay, all of it's important. All of it's good. But how should I digest it? Which parts should I maybe read a little more than others? Which parts should I be consistently dipping into? And which parts are more for foundation? Because I'm assuming that, you know, evangelicals have said this. We would say, you know, read through and preach through the whole counsel of God. And you might have heard a preacher say, preach through every verse of the Bible. Now, if I preach through every verse of Leviticus 8... Oh, man, that would be tough, right? If I preached through every verse of Romans 8, that'd be a little bit different, right? And so we have this, also this assumption as Christians that a healthy Bible diet is just reading from the front cover to the back cover. I'm going to read from Genesis to, Re- to Revelation over and over and over again. And that's not a bad thing. I'm actually not against that. I think it's a great thing to read through the whole scriptures. But I don't think it's the best Bible diet if we look at how we read the scriptures. Think of the images. Fix these words on your heart. Um, Hide these words in your heart. Eat these words. So would you hide Leviticus 8 in your heart as much as you would hide Romans 8 in your heart if you know the difference between those scriptures? Would you memorize the Lord's Prayer or would you memorize Solomon's Prayer for the Temple? Which prayer would you memorize? Anybody? Which prayer would you memorize? Which psalm, which piece of scripture, like one of the longest chapters in the Bible is Psalms 119. If I gave you an option to to take Psalm 119 home or to take the, the first 11 chapters of Chronicles, which lists the genealogy of every single person in the life of Israel, which one would you take home to meditate on, fix your eyes on, hide in your heart, which one? See, I, I, I'm not saying that any part of the Bible's uh, necessarily better than the other and that we should pick and choose, but we recognize that we need a healthy biblical diet. And so I want to kind of present a Bible diet for us. Like, how do we Im- embrace the scriptures or read them? And I want to start with the Gospels. I think that as Christians, as those who follow Jesus, those who've come to know that Jesus is the Lord, the Gospels become one of the primary portions of Scripture that we consume. So when we look at the Bible diet, the the food group of the Bible, Christ should get the highest percentage of our attention. We immerse ourselves mainly in Him. It's not to neglect other parts of the Bible. I'm going to get to that in a second. But for a healthy diet, even the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Colossians, when Paul writes to the Colossian church, he says, let the message of Jesus dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. That whole passage in Colossians 3, Paul says, let the peace of Christ dwell in you richly, let the word of Christ or the message of Christ dwell in you richly, and then he says, everything you do, do in the name of Jesus Christ. So peace and word or message and also name 
we realize that Jesus is central to us being Christians or Christ followers. Now, this is not heresy because we're not taking away any other part of Scripture. But we're just saying that Jesus, because he's the climax of the story, because he is the word of God in the flesh, and he fulfills all of Scripture, right? Everything that comes before him. We talked about this in week one. There's the story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, from from creation to new creation, and Jesus is the climax. And if that's true, then we should be sitting at his feet. Matthew 17, there's this, uh, this moment in the Gospels where a couple of the disciples follow Jesus up a mountain and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah appear and they're, they're thinking like, should we kind of build these you know, houses or tabernacles for them? And all of a sudden Moses and Elijah disappear. Jesus is the only one left. And then they hear a voice from God saying, this is my son, listen to him. It's, that's, that's a very significant passage to help us recognize Who is the fulfillment of God's word, the climax of the story? The writer to the Hebrews says, God spoke in the past through others, but now he speaks through his son. Paul said, preach Christ and Christ crucified. Paul stood on the law and the prophets. Jesus summarizes the law and the prophets, but Paul never said, preach the law and the prophets. He said, preach Christ and Christ crucified. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. I like what this one historical Bible scholar says, Yaroslav Pelikan. He says, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. If Christ isn't risen, nothing else matters. And Paul said something similar. It echoes the Apostle Paul. So the Gospels become like one of the primary food groups that we should be reading and digesting. And I don't just mean the Gospel succinctly said, you know, like, like Jesus died for our sins or we're justified by faith or for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I mean the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And sometimes we, Christians, especially Protestants, have sometimes quoted a verse in Galatians or a verse in Romans as the Gospel and forgetting that like all the Gospels contain the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. Because it's in the Gospels where Jesus announces the kingdom of God. It's in the Gospels where Jesus enacts the kingdom of God and announces the gospel and demonstrates the gospel and teaches the implication of the gospel and shows us what it means to live the gospel and puts into action the gospel that comes together, all together in his death and resurrection, his burial and resurrection and his ascension. So I guess what I'm trying to tell you is if you have a Bible diet, let the Gospels be the primary food group. It's important. And the next food group in your Bible diet is the New Testament, the whole of the New Testament. Because the teachings of Jesus and his church get played out. As Paul writes to the Roman church or the Galatian church or the the church in Colossae or Peter writes or James writes or the writer of Hebrews, what they're doing is they're unpacking for people at that time through through what they knew of Christ, what it means to follow Jesus in their day, in their time, in their city, among their people, and they apply the message of Jesus to their life and to their society and to their mission. And it's amazing because as you read these letters, they don't all quote Jesus verbatim, but they ooze out the message of Christ. And so the New Testament is really a charter for Christians, for Christ followers. It's so important to understand that, so when, that we would read and reflect these letters. Why? So we can discern what it means to follow Jesus in our day, in the year 2020, in Montreal, 
and as we learn how they followed Christ in the year 30 or 50 or 90 in Ephesus or Philippi or Rome or wherever. Because it was the New Testament holds, like we said a couple of weeks ago, the living tradition of faith in paper form. And it's really our charter as a church, as Christ followers. So that becomes an, the, kind of the second major food group in our Bible diet. But the third one is the Old Testament. And I don't leave it last because it's not important. I, I, I put it last because as major food groups go, you would also, all food is important. All the Bible's important. But which parts are we going to read, are we going to lean into in terms of our diet? And I think the Old Testament has its place, but within the Gospels and the New Testament, for those of us who are Christians, who follow Jesus, who are New Covenant people because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so what's the best way to read the, the Old Testament? I mean, do you have to read it all? Should you read it uh, as much exactly in equal form as the New Testament? I'm not going to say yes or no to that. I think it's obviously it's part of our scriptures. It's part of God's word. It's God's inspired word to us. But let me give you a way to read the Old Testament that I think helps our Bible diet. And it's this. Whenever, here's the first way I think we can approach this. Go back to every Old Testament text as you find it in the New Testament. So be one that reads through the Gospels and reads through the New Testament. And one way to read the Old Testament is to pause and say, what's he quoting? Where's he quoting this from? So when Jesus you know, opens the scroll and Luke 4 tells us that he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, he's quoting from Isaiah 61. And so what do you do there? You stop and you say, oh, wait a second. You don't have to stop in that moment. You can take a note and do it later or whatever. But the point is that you say, wait a second, where's Jesus quoting from? Isaiah 61. What's that vision about? What's Isaiah saying? And you go back to Isaiah 61, and you read the whole portion. Or maybe you read the couple of chapters before and a couple of chapters after, and now you root yourself in the vision that Jesus is pulling from, from Isaiah the prophet. You might discover that, you know, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul echoes those words. Where does Jesus get those words from? From Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. So what do you do? How do you get the fullness of what Jesus is trying to do there? You go back and you say, what does Deuteronomy 6 say? What is, what, how did this come about? Why is Moses teaching God's people to, make, to see God as one and to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? And during the day and at, while they eat and when they leave their house and come back in, why, Moses is saying, like, keep these words in your mind and your heart as you love God with everything you have. So you go back, right? A great book to do this with is, is Hebrews because the writer of the Hebrews lives and swims in Psalms 8, Psalms 40, and Psalms 110. And when you see the echo of that, you, can, you go back and say, what's Psalm 8 all about? What's Psalm 40 all about? What's Psalm 110 all about? And so you go back and you say, why, what's so vital here? And you begin to immerse yourself in what this writer in the New Testament is pulling from and why and where it fits into the story. Here's one last example. You know, Paul writes to the Galatian church that, that God promised Abraham's seed would come to fulfillment, not seeds, seed, singular. And he tries to help 
that church in that time period understand, especially if you were a non-Jew wanting to become a Christian, that you didn't have to become Jewish to become a Christian. And he's trying to help them say that God's promise to Abraham was about Jesus, the seed. So you go back to Genesis 12 and say, what is, what's all this story about? What's, what's happening here? What's his promise? What's God's heart for the nations, for the world? And you go back and you read that. And that's, I think that's one of the major ways we should be reading the Old Testament because we can, as Christ followers, we can look back to see where Jesus and Paul and the other writers pulled from, what they were relying on. And then the second way to read the Old Testament is just to read through it, just to understand the heart and soul of God working through his people. Now, please, please, don't quote me. Like some people are going to say, Dave Manifold says, don't read, you know, you should, don't read the Old Testament, just read the New and whatever. And if you quote me, you're, you're wrongly quoting me. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, I'm, do not neglect it. Do not separate it. It's part of God's story. But be careful to recognize that Jesus is the climax of the story. That the, the story has a progression. That Jesus is the fulfillment. That we have the word of God in the flesh. And that his name is Jesus. And so what I'm proposing in our Bible diet is that we kind of read the Bible backwards. We've come to know Christ. We know the resurrection. We see how God has led his church and the coming of God's spirit. And we go back and we see how God was preparing the way through all of history and through the Old Testament. And so our Bible diet would kind of be like a third of the Gospels, a third of the New Testament, and a third of the Old Testament. And I, I, I bet that most people would recognize this as healthy because I think it'd be more important that on, if through, the, through the course of my life, if I were to read uh, two books of the Bible a hundred times, should I read Leviticus and Matthew's Gospel equally a hundred times? Now, I might have a keen interest in Leviticus, and you might too. That's cool. Go for it. Study the heck out of it. You know I mean? Get all into it. That's fine. But in terms of our spiritual formation, no. That wouldn't be the case, right? So, and it's really beautiful because today is, is the, the, the first day of Advent, and um, the, the way the, the, the church calendar year is structured, it starts on Advent and prepares us for the coming of Christ, and then it's Christmas and Epiphany, and then the lead up to the cross, and then Pentecost, and then just ordinary time throughout the summer and into the fall. The first starting day of the church year is on Advent, and it's, if you go start reading today from a regular lectionary, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get a portion of the Old Testament, a portion of the New Testament, and a portion of the Gospels. It's awesome. They give you the, the third, kind of one-third, 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 and every day they encourage you to read a psalm. And here's why. And I would encourage you to read a psalm as well. Because the psalm is the prayer book of the Jews. And Jesus prayed out of the psalms. And so imagine every day you read a psalm and you prayed it. And it became your prayer language. And it helped you express your heart to God in the best of times and the worst of times. And you learned the foundation of the Old Testament and immersed yourself in the Gospels and then immersed yourself in the New Testament. Then you'd have this awesome Bible diet that would round us out as we read the scriptures. And of course, you're going to do it in doses, right? Doses are good, right? Like sometimes you're really sick and they give you a heavy antibiotic for like two weeks and you're like drench yourself with this pill, right? But sometimes it's like, you know what, just take a little bit of this once a week or every two days. There's doses and then there's 
drenching, <laughs> right? And so doses are like little, you can do little drips or you can be drenched by it. Every day we need drops of the scripture in our life, every single day. But sometimes, like my retreat, or maybe once a week or a couple of times a month or several times a year, you, we should all take time to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. You know what it would do for you or for me if I took a whole morning and immersed myself in Isaiah's prophecy, if I took a whole morning and immersed myself in John's gospel, if I took uh, 30 minutes and kept reflecting on Romans 8, or if I put to memory Psalm 23 or the Lord's Prayer, there's moments we should drench ourselves with the scriptures. But on a daily basis, we should always have these doses of the scriptures. And think of Psalm 1, the one who delights in the word of God, the law of God, and meditates on it day and night. Doses, drops, and being drenched by it. So as we wrap up this series, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to, like, send me a note. Like, how are you reading the Bible? You might say, I don't read the Bible. That's a valid answer. Just tell me. You might say, I read it very sporadically. You might say, I have no idea where to start. Or you might have an elaborate plan, and that's awesome. I'd love just to hear, like, how are you reading the scriptures? How is that helpful? And maybe what we're talking about today, because I would love for us to promote a solid kind of diet in the Bible in 2021 as we move forward. But here's how I'm going to end today. And it's with a quote from someone who lived in the 30s and 40s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, he was a, a Christ follower who stood in contrast to the Nazi regime at the time. He was a, a Bible teacher, a pastor. He sacrificed himself in so many ways for the mission of God in his country and for the church around the world. And I love what he says, and we're going to close with his words. He says, the word of Scripture should never stop sounding in your ears and working in you all day long, just like the words of someone you love. Don't ask, how should I pass this on? But what does it say to me? And then ponder this word long in your heart until it has gone right into you and taken possession of you. Ponder this word long in your heart until it has taken root in you and gone right into you and taken possession of you. And then here's this promise from Psalm 1. Then you will be like trees planted by streams of living water, fruitful and faithful. If there was ever a season in our lifetime that we needed the strength and streams of something solid God's word, so we can be fruitful and we can be faithful. It's today. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful. Your word is amazing and beautiful and rich. And God, I know that there's been so many beautiful ways that we've learned the scripture and so many wonderful um, tools and people that have helped us along the way. But over the course of these six weeks, we've also recognized that maybe we've inherited or assumed some unhealthy ways of reading the scriptures or even knowing exactly what the scripture is and what it isn't. And God, in the honesty of our heart, because we long to honor you and love you and follow you and follow Jesus, we want to allow the scriptures to be what they are and what they're meant to be. And God, 
we just state right now, we want your word to do in our hearts what you long to do in our hearts. We want them to be unleashed in our lives. And so as we look at your, the whole picture of your story, the incredible living tradition of faith from the times of Christ, just the different genres and authors and contexts, oh God, the, the, then today just considering last week and this week, God, how we read the scripture in communion with your church over history, but then how we can just also read it for ourselves. God, we long that the, your words um, would echo in our minds and our hearts, that we'd ponder them so that they can come, get right through us and take possession of us. God, we long to be that fruitful and faithful tree. In your name we pray, amen.